Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome again. We're, we're in the middle of this series where we've been looking at some of the major stories of the Bible and how in the Bible you've got these twists and turns of, of God revealing this epic story of His great plan. And it's really through the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, and looking at what, what they experienced, that whole history is chocked full of lessons that, that really apply to our lives. And so, if you look at Romans 15, verse 4, look at what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He said, he's speaking about the history of God's people. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So he's talking about the Old Testament. The things that were written in the Old Testament were, were written for our instruction, for the, for the instruction of the church, for Christ followers. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Last week we saw how God raised up Moses to be the deliverer of God's people from slavery. God's people were... Uh, Millions of his people were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises a man named Moses up to lead God's people out of captivity. And that whole picture of what God was doing was, is, is, is significant for us. Because God is still in the process of, of delivering his people from spiritual bondage. This is what he does. He, he releases and he frees us from captivity that we find ourselves often in. And pride is one of those things that I think... Is, is, can ensnare and enslave many of us. There's, there's a list of sins we could go on and on about all of our favorite sins. Not that they're our favorites, but they're the things that we are more prone to do. And, and, you know, one, one for me is pride. Pride is something that can easily enslave me. And, and whenever I sin, I, I don't know why, but it takes everything within me to admit that I've done wrong. Are you one of those people that struggle with, with pride where you, you screw up? If it's, a, if it's towards somebody like in your family, let's say it's towards your spouse, it is so difficult for me to own what I've done wrong. It's like having, they, they say, it's like you've got to swallow your pride. It's like choking down a horse pill. You know what I mean? Like get the tongue depressor out, you know, jam it in there. I, mean, I, I don't know why it's so hard for me to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up here. Would you please forgive me? And name the issue by name. Not just, well, forgive me. Can you just get over it? That's the knee jerk in us, right? Just forgive me. No, I need to actually admit what I did. But it's my pride that really prevents me from doing that. Because what I want to do is pride kicks in. I want to cover it up. Not only pride, but then there's shame. Because now once I realize I've done wrong, I want to I crawl into a hole of shame. Because now I've got to not only apologize and own my sin, but now I actually have to say, and I'm sorry that I was being stubborn here or, or being prideful and not really owning this. So it prevents me from really facing the wrongs that I commit. Now, we can be held in bondage to pride. We can be held in bondage to, to greed. We can be held in bondage to envy. We start comparing ourselves to other people, what they have, what, what their life is like, what they drive. How together they appear. We, we can be in bondage to worry and all of these different things. They can grow inside of us. And Christ Jesus came to rescue us and to, to release us from the bondage and the slavery in all of its different forms. And so when we looked at the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt, that really for us is this, there's a symbolic uh, 
part of us walking with Christ and being the need for us to be delivered from present day forms of enslavement. And so, a couple weeks ago, we saw how God chose a man named Abraham. Abraham was a man that he was chosen to be the father of a nation that God would use to bless all the people on the, on the, on the planet. You know, all, all the families of the earth would be blessed through this man Abraham and through his descendants. And if you recall, God led Abraham to set out from his homeland and to make a trek 400 miles across the Arabian desert to show God wanted to show him the land that God was going to give to his descendants. And so he, he, he does that. He wants him to journey and he, and he wants to show him this great area, this geographical you know, landscape of what would be his and his descendants. And he promised, I'm going to give you this land. This will be yours. And it was known as the promised land, right? The promised land. You may have heard that term before. It was promised to them. But the land itself... This geographical region, you know, you might think, oh, it's all about the borders and the land. They just got to get inside the land. But that, that region represented, if they were in the land, it represented God's blessing, His kindness, His favor. There was more to it than just geography. It was, it was actually about an experience with God, that, that He wanted to lead them to experience something. And there would be a real challenge to possess that land. And there would be a real struggle to stay in the land. There would be this constant fight to stay in the land. And here's what we're going to see today. If you want to take out your listening guide, you find this in your, in your program. We have to fight in faith to claim the life that God promises. It's a constant fight in faith. This is what we, what we deal with. We're, we're in this battle. This morning's message is all about how life is a battlefield. Because we're in this fight constantly if you want to be in the land of blessing. For them, it was really about getting into this region. For us, it is about stepping into a place where we experience God's kindness, His, His favor on us. And if you don't know this about life, that it's a fight, and that life is a battle, you will often be very confused as you decide to follow Christ and you walk with Him. What will often happen, if you're, if you're not aware of this reality of a battle, then you'll be blindsided, you'll be taken down spiritually, you may not fully recover, you may not be able to feel like you can get back up on your feet. Now, think about following Jesus like boarding a ship that He's the captain of, okay? You follow Christ, you decide to yield your life to Him as the Lord or as the boss of your life. Think of Him as the captain, okay? As we head on to, onto the ocean of life, we need to know what kind of ship Jesus captains, okay? We will not be adequately prepared for the opposition that we face if we see that Jesus, if we think that Jesus is the captain of a cruise ship. If we think fallen Christ is like, I'm stepping foot onto the cruise ship, then we have, a, we have an expectation of what life is going to be like. Have you ever been on a cruise? Who's been on a cruise? Just show of hands real quick. It's nice, isn't it? I mean, who wants to go back on a cruise if you've been on a cruise before? Nearly everybody that, you know, there might be a few bad experiences from the cruise, you know. You might have been one of those people where the sewage all came up and, and, and you know, you got stuck in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, but for the most part, cruises are great experiences, you know. I remember going on my first cruise and it was like, you walk onto the cruise and, and what do you see? What's everybody doing on the cruise right when you walk on? Eating. Everywhere you go, people are like, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Bring me more. More. You walk through these tunnels and passageways and there's like cafeterias. People with just 
shoving food down their face. And it's, it's constant. You can eat as much as you want. On a, I see some heads nodding. Like, yeah, that was me. I was, I was enjoying that experience. So my first time, I was like, this is, this is what's going to happen. And I like food. So I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, but on a cruise ship, you expect to be served. And if you think you booked a cruise when you chose to follow Christ, it's really not a luxury cruise on earth. It's not long before, if you think you're on a cruise ship, you're disappointed. And, and you're confused. You plan out all your entertainment. We're going to see this. We're going to do this because we're on the cruise. And, and then you start looking for the buffet line. Where's the shortest line? And, and who serves what food? And, and all of a sudden, you're walking to the next buffet and you take a hit from an incoming missile. And you realize, we're under attack. We're on a cruise ship. We're under attack. And you're shell-shocked. And it's a shocker when you discover that becoming a Christian is more like this. It's more like you've just stepped onto a battleship. You boarded a battleship, not a cruise ship. If you've decided to invite Christ to be the Lord of your life, you're somewhere on the deck and you've got a role to play. And he's captaining a battleship. Now, people can have the same experience in looking for a church. We, we want the cruise ship experience when we're looking for a church, not the battleship experience. Who wants to go to a battleship church? You know, I want to go to the luxury cruise liner church where I got a, I got a, you know, a hole in my cabin and I can just look at the ocean and I can, you know, there's people doing jobs. No one needs me to do anything, you know. But Christ church is on, is on mission. And, and we, so we don't want people to just have the, the wrong mindset of, of what this is all about and walking with Christ. We want to, we want to help you find a place where you can serve with your life, where you can get equipped, and where you can be on the front lines of what God is doing in the world. And you could join Him in that. And you have a role to play. The Bible is very clear about this imagery, about the nature of the Christian life and what we can expect on earth as one of God's people. We want the cruise ship, but you know what? The cruise ship experience would be more like heaven. It's going to be better than a cruise ship experience. But we want the cruise ship on earth now. Well, there's a battleship you can step aboard and find, and find your place. In this life, we're going to have to fight in faith to claim the life that God promises. Just as Israel had to battle to advance into that promised land. Now, the first two battles in their conquest of the land to conquer this new promised land were the cities of Jericho and a city named Ai. And so God uses... The first two battles in the promised land, to advance into the promised land, he uses these first two battles to teach this emerging nation a very important lesson. The lesson is this. If you depend on me to fight for you, there's victory. That's God's lesson. If you depend on me and rely on me to fight for you, there will be victory. But if you depend on your own strength, you will lose. I mean, that's just, that's just how it goes. And so Moses, he led God's people to the edge of the promised land. After... After last week, you know, we, we wrapped up last week with God parting the Red Sea, allowing millions of Israelites to be released from slavery, out of captivity. They hit this dead end of the Red Sea. The Pharaoh's armies are chasing them, and God parts the waters. Millions of people cross on dry land, and then God sweeps away the Egyptian army, this threat to them. And then they, they continue on. But then there's grumbling and stubbornness, and then there's this wandering in the wilderness. 
And during those years of wandering in the wilderness, a lot of God's people were taken out because of their grumbling, because of their complaining. And Moses is trying to lead God's people to the, to the land of promise. And he, he, is, he reaches the edge of the promised land. And God says, you may look and see this, this great land, but you're not going to be able to advance into it. You're going to die here. So, transitions from Moses to Joshua, the new uh, military leader, the commander. He was kind of Moses' right-hand general. And so, Joshua takes on the reins. And Joshua is about to lead Israel through a series of military campaigns to possess, to take possession of the promised land, city by city. But it's going to be through battles. Now, the first city they arrive at is Jericho. Jericho is this fortified city with these huge walls. Here's an example of a modern-day fortified city. I don't know if you could see this. This is somewhere in France. And, but you see these giant walls that protect this city. Now, if you're going to advance upon this city, and this is the edge of the promised land, you need to take this city. You need to take city by city. And... You know, how do you get into a fortified city? Well, you have to somehow scale the walls. Well, if, if I'm in charge of the battle group inside the city, then I've got guys on the walls, I've got archers on the walls, I've got, you know, hot oil to pour on them, I've got all sorts of things, you know, big boulders and drop on people. You know, that's, that's what these, you know, these walls are for. Is This is just this huge barrier to prevent attack. Now, God has Jericho win this battle, or God has Israel win the battle at Jericho by this unconventional method of warfare. And the the unique thing about it is Israel just needs to be careful and they need to follow the Lord's instructions exactly. They need to be very careful to obey the exact instructions. Here's the instructions God tells them. God says to Joshua, here's what I want my people to do. He says, I instruct the people to march around the city for six days with trumpets blaring before the fighting men who remain completely silent. Okay? So the fighting men are not to advance, but just this marching band is supposed to go on and circle the city, blowing trumpets for six days. Then on the seventh day, you're to have people walk around the city seven times in the same fashion and then give a great shout. Think about the battle strategy. Joshua's like, okay, everybody, here's what we're going to do. Huddle, huddle in. You know, you got all these seasoned guys ready to fight. You know, what, which weapon do you want me to use, Joshua? We're going to use the, you know, the, the, the boulder thrower. We're going to, you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to send the trumpet guys around seven times. And we're going to stand still or for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're all, you know, seven times around, we're all going to scream. We're going to shout. Yeah, and then what? That's all I've got. So now look at the verse. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. This is on the seventh day. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Now who would have expected that this unconventional method would have been what brought about the victory? Nobody. But this is the pattern of careful obedience. This is what became known as a secret to Israel's battle strategy. Careful obedience. In the beginning of Joshua, God tells Joshua, look, be strong and courageous and be careful to obey everything I tell you. God wants them to be strong in Him, be courageous, and be careful to obey everything. This is, this is one of the secrets to them 
taking the promised land was careful obedience. God gives instructions no matter how strange they may appear. Follow them to the T. Now, one king, years later, reminded God's people of the fact that God could do whatever he wants. Look at this verse in Second Chronicles 32. This is from King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, he tells his people, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is, that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. So this king says, look, we've got to be strong in the Lord. I know this king of Assyria has a lot of people here. There's this huge horde, this huge army. But he said, look, there are more with us than with him. Now you can imagine Hezekiah's people are like, no, there's not. Look at us. Look at him. Well, Hezekiah, is, he's accounting for the fact that God has his armies that are about to fight the battle. Now look at the next verse. Hezekiah says this, of the king of Assyria, with him is an arm of flesh. This guy's going to fight with his, his, his physical arm. You know, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And what this did is it strengthened the people. The people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. So as we face our fears and battle through life, we have to remember that God will fight for us if we will rely on Him. We saw this as God used Moses to battle against Pharaoh. We saw this as God parted the Red Seas. Or the Red Sea here in Jericho, the people were careful to obey God, and they won. They were just careful to obey God, and they won. Now the next city. So after Jericho, the walls, you know, fall down. The Israelites take the city. They're instructed to basically burn everything that's there, not leave anything there standing. Joshua like curses that 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 the remains that are there, but then basically they're told to to take the plunder, which is like the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, take those and devote that to the treasury in the house of the Lord. That's the only thing they're to keep. But it's not to go to them, it's to go to the treasury of the house of the Lord. But one of the men of Israel, he took some of the plunder from Jericho for himself. After he'd taken the city, he, he grabs something there valuable, and he thinks, oh, nobody's going to miss this. But God said, no, all of it, you know, everything's burned, except for these things needs to be devoted to the, to the house of the Lord, to the treasury. This one man named Achan, he takes something, and he hides it in his tent. And what that did is it angered the Lord who saw exactly what happened, and it impacted their next battle for the city of Ai. So the next city, as you flip to chapter 7, they come to this next city, and they, they must have been feeling amazing. God had just given them Jericho. They didn't even really... The people didn't do anything physically. They didn't have to battle. They were like, this is great. This is the kind of warfare I want to be in, you know? God just fights the battles. So they get to Ai, Joshua says, go spy out the land. So he sends some spies. The spies come back, and here's what the spies report. Now, in this, there are some telltale signs that they began to fight in their own power. They began to fight in their own power and stopped relying on God. Look at what it says in verse 3. And they returned to Joshua. These are the spies who looked at the city of Ai. They returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go go up, but let about two or 3,000 men Go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. Loose translation. We got this. Send in the B team. Let the A team just rest. 
prepare for, you know, a tougher opponent. Let's just send in the B team. Let's just send in two to three thousand and, and that's all we need. No need to send and bother the whole army. That's a costly decision here. That's what, as they relied on their own sense, that's what they concluded. Look at verse four. Look what happens. So about three thousand men went up from there, went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men, 36 of, of the Israelites, and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I mean, this is their first real battle. The first one, it wasn't a battle because God, you know, God did everything. They just obeyed. This one, they start, they're getting ready to battle in their way. They're going to use their... But they get, they get beaten. And they're chased. Now this is very, very difficult. They're very, very different. In the first one, they waited on God's instructions. They waited and they wanted to know, God, what do you want us to do? Joshua sought the Lord. What do you want us to do? They were careful to obey. But at Ai, they just charged ahead in their own strength and in their own wisdom. They did not check with God. And they lost. Now through the process, God reveals that there was a man who took from the plunder something that was to be devoted for himself, for God himself, and he corrects Israel through the lost battle. This was a correction. They lost the battle because of that, but also because of their relying on themselves. God deals with this this man and his family, and then Israel, the rest of Israel, repents. They cry out to God for mercy, and then they go back in to fight for Ai. Now look at, God reassures them. This is in chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear. This is after the people repent and say, we should do it God's way. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you. This is what God wanted them to do. Take everyone with you. And arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. Relying on God, and you can read the story in chapter 8. Relying on God, Israel takes courage in God's words and Ai falls. Again, here's the lesson. You rely on yourself, you lose the battle. You rely on God, He gives the victory. This is in so many areas of our lives. If we'll learn to rely on God, He's the one that holds the victory. There's a book, it's called The Art of War. And the general, the Chinese general who wrote this book, he has this quote, and I wanted to read it to you. And the key to military victory is understanding your opponent. Understanding the enemy that you're fighting against. So look at this. If you know the enemy, and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So that's, that's the key. You know the enemy, and you know some things about yourself. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gain, you will also suffer defeat. But if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You know, there's some truth in this applied to the spiritual realm that actually extends out further. Knowing the enemies we face is is one aspect, but more than that, knowing God who provides strength for the battle is the key. Knowing God, knowing how He works, knowing His Word, knowing His ways, If we fail to know Him, we fail. We struggle in life. We fail to live a victorious life. We we fail to experience the blessing of the land that God wants to give. You know, that that land for us is really, again, symbolic of experiencing a life of blessing. And 
But if we also fail to know who our enemies, who our real enemies are, and who we're really fighting against, then we can be really overwhelmed as hard things stack up. It's like, again, thinking you're on a cruise ship, realizing I'm on a battleship. We need to know who we're battling against. And so the Bible shows us that Christ followers have three enemies that we battle against. These are on the back side of your listening guide. There's three enemies that we battle against. The first one is this. It's, it's the enemy of the world. The world is a system of beliefs and values contrary to God's values. Actually, let's look at the flesh first. Look at the flesh. Number two. The flesh is our, our tendency to sin that remains in us after conversion. You and I, we, have, we battle against the flesh. Our sinful nature that stays in us. If, if Christ lives in you, the, the Holy Spirit resides in you, you still battle with sin. You and I still battle with what's known as the flesh. And so there's this struggle since the fall of man that we face. And it, it shows up in different areas. It shows up in personal sin. Whenever we use our speech to, to lash out at somebody, that's, that's us walking in the flesh, being in the flesh. Whenever we promote ourselves to get ahead and put our goals and interests ahead of someone else, that's, that's the flesh. This is just our, need, our, our natural default Strategy in life is to, to walk in the flesh, in our sinful nature. And it's quite damaging, the results. Another enemy is the world. The world is, as you see it there, it's a system of beliefs and values that are contrary to God's. It's just, God's ways look very different than the world's ways. God's kingdom value system are very different than the, the value system in this world. In the world, self-promotion is kind of the norm. It's all about individualism. It's all about... You know, we live in a dog-eat-dog world, and so God helps those who help themselves. I need, to, I need to push to get ahead in this world. And so many, you know, times through growing up, we hear from a very young age just the pull of the world in, in, different, in different terms and phrases. And so we just try to survive in this world. But the world and the flesh work together. And, and we like to consume, and, so, and we also like to fit in. And so the world provides us with many opportunities for that. The world is not just some distant influence that has no impact on us. It appears all around us in our culture. It has tremendous influence through the media, through TV, through music, through entertainment. The world, we're living in this world and there's, there's, we're battling this enemy. And we may not even realize that. The third enemy that we face is we battle against the devil. We battle against Satan and demonic spirits who impact individuals. He wants to in the garden, we looked at the very first encounter where in the garden, the devil shows up and begins to tempt or deceive and tempt. And, and since then, he continues this on. He uses legions of demonic spirits to promote his lies and priorities today. And we don't think that's true. We think, oh, that's, that's just hocus pocus. That's, that's weird. That's the movies. In the, in the West... Certainly in our country, we tend to just gloss over the whole spirit world. But in many parts of the world, the spirit world is recognized as, as central to life. There's a recognition in many places outside of the West that there's a lot going on in the demonic realm. In the unseen realm, there's an attack there. We have, an, we have a very real enemy. And when you read the scriptures, Satan's role in deception is so apparent. You see it especially in the New Testament. There's all this power struggle going on with Christ and the forces of darkness. <clears throat> John 8.44 refers to the devil as a liar. 
and the father of lies. And so these three enemies that we've looked at are real. And you may wonder, well, how, how do these things work together? Sometimes you do something and you're wondering, was that the flesh? Was that the world? Was that the devil? I know I did something wrong there, but who was that? Who's responsible for that? It, it, why did I do that? It could, it could have been the flesh. Maybe just me giving in a sin, or maybe it's the world I'm living in. And, or was that the devil? And so I want to show you a, an illustration here. Because these, these three enemies can be perplexing. How do these things work together? One of my mentors, Harold Bullock, he came up with this illustration. He says, the world is like a boat. The world is like a boat, and it's headed in a certain direction. The world is pulling the culture. It's pulling people in a certain direction to chase after certain things. It's moving in a certain direction. And that direction is moving different than God's, than towards God's kingdom. Now, the boat is, is pulling along a, a skier behind it, taking it on a ride. And so the water skier, that's you, that's me. We're on the skis. And the flesh is there. The, fresh, the flesh is kind of like that, that process of being pulled along. That, that toe line is like the flesh. And we get pulled by the world. We get pulled by the world's values. However, the, the boat doesn't drive itself. Like all boats have a captain who's guiding its direction. Satan is the one steering. The devil is the one steering the world in a certain direction according to his own values. This is how these things work together. This is why the Bible refers to Satan as the prince of this world. He's the prince of this world. And it's so easy to get blind by the direction of the world and ultimately the devil who is, who's, who is steering the world. It can appear kind of like a fun ride. Like, life is really fun. I'm just water skiing. I don't realize, why am I doing these things? Why am I... And the flesh, the world, the devil, this is where these things are working. These enemies are working against us. We don't realize the boat is heading towards a cliff. We don't realize the boat is heading towards rocks and danger and devastation. Satan, he is intent on robbing, trapping, ensnaring, blinding the world. And the world itself is passing away, we're told. It's passing away. And because of all of this, we, we can't just know who these enemies are. We need to know, how do I fight against them? So, the good news, the Bible shows us how, to be, how do we battle against these three enemies. So, to deal with the flesh, we walk in the Spirit, we're told. Paul writes this in the New Testament, in Galatians 5, he says, Walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify you know, the flesh. You won't gratify your sinful nature if you walk in the Spirit. So, Galatians five sixteen through 25 I want to encourage you to read this on your own this week. Read this passage I would encourage you to take these verses we're going to look at and go through these on your own. Understand how to battle against these enemies. For each of these points, we're just going to list the verses out here on the on the screen. We're not going to go through them. This is kind of an assignment to understand the enemies and then how to battle against them. God provides a lot of help for us in the moment that we're battling, because the Spirit of God He's working in us. He teaches us to say no to things, to say no to our flesh, to say no to temptation. The Spirit of God, if He if you're a Christ follower, the Spirit of God lives inside of you and He reminds us of God's promises. He reminds us of His, His truths found in the Scripture. Here's how we battle against the world. We battle against the world through letting God's Word transform our values and our views. And that's what God's Word does. As we spend time reading it, this is a discipline to develop. It's kind of like eating your... Vegetables. 
None of us, well, some of you like to eat vegetables, but most, you know, it's, it's hard to be disciplined to eat healthy food and, and to do, you know, certain things that require discipline. Developing in this area, learning to battle, it requires a spiritual set of disciplines that you just have to stay after through the years of your life. One of them is just taking in God's truth, reading the Bible for yourself, not just relying on others to, to tell you what it says, but taking the time to dig into it for yourself. You can only grow so far if you're relying on other people to, to feed you constantly what the Bible says. You hit a point where it's just like, you know, your mama stopped, you know, feeding you. You know, but sometimes in, in our spiritual life, we kind of hope mama comes along and still feeding us. We have to begin the disciplines of, of self-feeding. When we read the Bible, here's what happens. It provides a different reality on how things should be. You read the Scripture and you see, wow, this is very different than the world. This is very different than, than my own thinking. And it's so easy to soak up the world's values and priorities, just like a sponge. And so when we're doing life in this world, we got this sponge and we're, we're just taking it all in. We're sponging in the world's values. And so when you read the Bible, it's kind of like you're wringing out the world's values. And you're wringing out the world's priorities. And you're replacing with the things that please God. We're, we're always soaking something up into our hearts from the world. We're always soaking up something into our hearts. And so the key to battle is to think the truth and to soak up God's promises into our lives. The Bible will provide so much help if we spend time soaking it in. Also, we fight against the devil. To deal with the devil, we battle by submitting to God, and we use his spiritual armor. It's a great listing here in Ephesians chapter 6, listing out the, the weapons that God has provided for us to battle against the enemy. And this to, to, to battle against unseen enemies. And so this Ephesians passage, it just lists out the, the pieces of armor that Christ followers need to put on to, to fight effectively. These are things that, as you learn about them, they're intended to help you battle against specific attacks. So you have a belt of truth, you have a breastplate of righteousness, you have a, you have a helmet of salvation. But all of these pieces of armor are, are used... At, to battle against specific strategies and schemes that the enemy uses to, to enslave us, to ensnare us. And so we need to use the armor to fight against the devil's attacks, or we lose ground in the life that God has given us. The battle that we're describing is spiritual, but it is very real. And the impact of a spiritual battle and the casualties can be seen just like a, an earthly battle. Many times... You know, the battle shows up in small things. The small things that we face on a daily basis. Like a strained relationship where bitterness creeps in. You know, that, that's, that's a spiritual battle. I'm in the battle. If I've got bitterness, if I'm bitter at someone, I have hurt, someone offends me, and I don't clear it up, that, that hurt and bitterness and resentment starts poisoning the rest of my life. It grows. It doesn't stay small. Bitterness creeps out. I've met many bitter people who is just consuming them. It's consuming. And so anytime we, we recognize there's bitterness, we've got to pull that root out. It will eat you alive. It will eat you up. It will spoil good things in your life if there's bitterness there. But you're in the battle when you're dealing with bitterness and you're not really working to clear things up. You're not really working to tear those roots out 
and just to humble yourself and deal with things. When we're tired and we're ready to check out at work because we lack motivation, we're in the battle. I'm too tired. Can't go to work. We want to drop our responsibilities. You're in the battle. God wants you to to get a grip on things and to keep moving forward with courage. All sorts of responses come up, but this is the battlefield. We're battling daily the flesh, the world, the devil. I want to encourage you, take courage as you battle. God, He captains a battleship and He supplies all that we need to fight to be victorious as we submit ourselves to Him. If you blow it, which we all do, if you do blow it, if you've blown it this week, you know, you're normal. But don't just stay on the ground. Get back up. Confess it to God. God, I, I, I really blew it. Sinned against you. I just admit it. Would you forgive me for that? Get back up on your feet. And start fighting again. Look at Ephesians 6.13. Paul writes, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So it's the picture of, there's an ongoing close at hand fight and you're going to get knocked down. When it comes, you need to get back up on your feet. Keep standing. The goal in all of this battling is that you'd be standing. That you'd not just count yourself out of the fight, but that you'd get back up and you'd re-engage with what God wants you to do. The writer of Hebrews, we need to stand together. So the writer of Hebrews, he wrote this to the church as a charge to keep pressing on in battle. Here's what he wrote. He said, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. May we be a group of people who keep battling. Though you can't always see where the, where the battle is, but you, you just keep trusting in God. You trust what He, what he reveals through, through His Word. You're careful to obey Him. And you recognize, God, you are the one that grants the victory. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And if you would take out that connection card and wrap up filling this out, we go through these and uh, pray for these requests, try to respond to questions and comments, and our staff um, responds to things based on these cards. And so if there's something you want to inform us about or ask a question about, you can just jot that on this card. You can drop that in the offering basket as the ushers come by. There's some next steps on here. These are also on your listening guide. And here they are. The first one is to identify the attack that I'm currently facing. Where is the fight currently in your life? Identify where you sense the fight. Is it with the flesh? It's the world? Do you feel like the enemy himself, the devil... That you're just under attack. Could be that you just circle all three and you're like, I, I think these are working together. I see how I'm kind of riding behind that boat and I feel the impact of all of these things currently right now. But, I mean, just specifically, this is for you to identify what it is that, that you need to, to battle against. And then take that, take those steps on how to battle successfully against those things. And then also we want to just highlight again the fact that Mother's Day is, is, coming up on the 8th and so invite a friend if you know somebody who would enjoy uh, doesn't have a church home invite them to our church for Mother's Day we've got some fun things in store if you're able to bring your mom you know bring your mom that'd be great and let me pray let's pray together Father thank you again for your word and Father thank you for being a God who is all-powerful 
and who has who holds the victory in your hands. Lord, we don't have to fear if we we don't have to fear this battle. We don't have to fear being a part of a spiritual fight if we stand with you on your side and if we if we're careful, Lord, in the way that we walk with you, if we're careful to obey the things you specifically told us. Lord, help us not to fight in our own human thinking and attempts, Lord, but help us to fall in line with the spiritual heroes who've gone before us and to, to carry this responsibility and this opportunity forward to keep battling for your eternal kingdom. Lord, we want to experience the blessing of living in really a, a land of, of promise. Just as Joshua led his people, your people, into the promised land. Lord, we want to experience a land of blessing and favor. Lord, we recognize there's a lot that comes against us. And so, Lord, help us not to be deceived and naive to those types of attacks. And help us to not fight in, in our own power, but, Lord, help us to rely on yours. We ask you for the help here and now. God, today, tomorrow, this week ahead, we will face challenges. Lord, would you help us? Would, it, would you help us rely on you? And Lord, trigger in our mind just uh, uh, the right reflexes to run to you, to turn to you, to cry out to you, to get into your word. We thank you for all of these things and how you do help us here and now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.